your blood. Should put you to the door, you can but walk the two days back again and risp at the manse door. But I would rather hope that you shall be well received, as your poor father forecast for you, and for anything that I can come to be a great man in time. And here, Davy Laddie, he resumed, it lies near upon my conscience to improve this parting and set you on the right guard against the dangers of the world. Here he cast about for a comfortable seat, lighted on a big boulder under a birch by the trackside, sat down upon it with a very long, serious upper lip, and the sun now shining in upon us between two peaks, put his pocket-handkerchief over his cocked hat to shelter him. There, then, with uplifted forefinger, he first put me on my guard against a considerable number of heresies, to which I had no temptation, and urged upon me to be instant in my prayers and reading of the Bible. That done, he drew a picture of the great house that I was bound to, and how I should conduct myself with its inhabitants. Be super, Davy, in things immaterial, said he. Bear ye this in mind, that though gentle-born you have had a country rearing. Dinna shame us, Davy, and dinna shame us, in yon great muckle house with all these domestics, upper and under. Show yourself as nice, as circumspect, as quick at the conception, and as slow of speech as any. As for the laird, remember he's the laird. I say no more. Honor to whom honor. It's a pleasure to obey a lad, or should be, to the young. Well, sir, said I, it may be, and I'll promise you I'll try to make it so. Why, very well said, replied Mr. Campbell heartily. And now to come to the material, or to make a quibble to the immaterial. I have here a little packet which contains four things. He tugged it as he spoke and with some great difficulty from the shirt-pocket of his coat. Of these four things, the first is your legal due, the little pickle money for your father's books and plenishing, which I have bought, as I have explained from the first, in the design of reselling at a profit to the incoming dominie. The other three are gifties that Mrs. Campbell and myself would be blithe of your acceptance. The first, which is round, will likely please you best at the first off-go. But, oh, Davy, laddie, it's but a drop of water in the sea. It'll help you but a step and vanish like the morning. The second, which is flat and square and written upon, will stand by you through life like a good staff for the road and a good pillow to your head in sickness. And as for the last, which is cubicle, that'll see you, it's my prayerful wish, into a better land. With that he got upon his feet, took off his hat, and prayed a little while aloud, and in affecting terms, for a young man setting out into the world, then suddenly took me in his arms and embraced me very hard, then held me at arm's length, looking at me with his face all working with sorrow, and then whipped about and crying good-bye to me, set off backward by the way that we had come at a sort of jogging run. It might have been laughable to another, but I was in no mind to laugh. I watched him as long as he was in sight, and he never stopped hurrying, nor once looked back. Then it came in upon my mind that this was all his sorrow at my departure, and my conscience smote me hard and fast, because I for my part was overjoyed to get away out of that quiet countryside, and go to a great busy house among rich and respected gentlefolk of my own name and blood. Davy, Davy, I thought, was ever such black ingratitude? 
Can you forget old favours and old friends at the mere whistle of a name? Fie, fie, thank shame. And I sat down on the boulder the good man had just left, and opened the parcel to see the nature of my gifts. That which he had called cubicle I had never had much doubt of. Sure enough, it was a little Bible to carry in a plaid nuke. That which he had called round I found to be a shilling piece, and the third, which was to help me so wonderfully both in health and sickness all the days of my life, was a little piece of coarse yellow paper, written upon thus in red ink. To make lily of the valley water, take the flowers of lily of the valley and distill them in sack, and drink a spoonful or two as there is occasion. It restores speech to those that have the dumb palsy. It is good against the gout. It comforts the heart and strengthens the memory. And the flowers put into a glass, close stopped, and set into one ain hill of ants for a month. Then take it out, and you will find a liquor which comes from the flowers, which keep in a vial. It is good, ill or well, and whether man or woman. And then, in the minister's own hand, was added, Likewise for sprains, rub it in, and for the colic, a great spoonful in the hour. To be sure, I laughed over this, but it was rather tremulous laughter, and I was glad to get my bundle on my staff's end and set out over the ford and up the hill upon the farther side, till, just as I came on the green drove road running wide through the heather, I took my last look of Kirk, Essendeen, the trees about the manse, and the big rowans in the kirkyard, where my father and my mother lay. Chapter 2 I Come to My Journey's End On the forenoon of the second day, coming to the top of a hill, I saw all the country fall away before me down to the sea, and in the midst of this descent on a long ridge, the city of Edinburgh smoking like a kiln. There was a flag upon the castle, and ships moving or lying anchored in the first, both of which, for as far away as they were, I could distinguish clearly, and both brought my country heart into my mouth. Presently after I came by a house where a shepherd lived, and got a rough direction for the neighbourhood of Cramond, and so from one to another worked my way to the westward of the capital by Collington, till I came out upon the Glasgow Road, and there, to my great pleasure and wonder, I beheld a regiment marching to the fiefs, every foot in time, an old red-faced general on a grey horse at the one end, and at the other the company of grenadiers with their pope's hats. The pride of life seemed to mount into my brain at the sight of the red coats and the hearing of that merry music. A little farther on, and I was told I was in Cramond Parish, and began to substitute in my inquiries the name of the House of Shores. It was a word that seemed to surprise those of whom I sought my way. At first I thought the plainness of my appearance in my country habit, and that all dusty from the road, consorted ill with the greatness of the place to which I was bound. But after two or maybe three had given me the same look and the same answer, I began to take it in my head that there was something strange about the shores itself. The better to set this fear at rest, I changed the form of my inquiries, and spying an honest fellow coming along a lane on the shaft of his cart, I asked him if he had ever heard tell of a house they called the House of Shores. He stopped his cart and looked at me, like the others. Aye, said he, what for? It's a great house, 
I asked. Doubtless, says he. The house is a big muckle house. Aye, said I. For the folk that are in it? Folk, cried he. Are ye daft? There's nae folk there to call folk. What, says I, not Mr. Ebenezer? Oh, aye, says the man. There's the laird, to be sure, if it's him you're wanting. What like be your business, Manny? I was led to think that I would get a situation, I said, looking as modest as I could. What, cries the carter in so sharp a note that his very horse started, and then, Well, Manny, he added, it's none of my affairs, but you seem a decent spoken lad, and if you'll take a word from me, you'll keep clear of the shores. The next person I came across was a dapper little man in a beautiful white wig, whom I saw to be a barber on his rounds. And knowing well that barbers were great gossips, I asked him plainly what sort of a man was Mr. Balfour of the Shores. Hoot, 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 said the barber. Nee kind of a man, nee kind of a man at all. And began to ask me very shrewdly what my business was. But I was more than a match for him at that, and he went on to his next customer no wiser than he came. I cannot well describe the blow this dealt to my illusions. The more indistinct the accusations were, the less I liked them, for they left the wider field to fancy. What kind of a great house was this that all the parish should start and stare to be asked the way to it? Or what sort of a gentleman that his ill fame should be thus current on the wayside? If an hour's walking would have brought me back to Essendine, I had left my adventure then and there, and returned to Mr. Campbell's. But when I'd come so far away already, mere shame would not suffer me to desist.